Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Thanks for joining us today. We never take for granted that you chose to watch Grumlaw online. So welcome to our online community. And this morning, we are in week seven of our series, Thriving in Babylon. And if this is your very first week, never fear, you can always catch up at grumlaw.com slash messages. And I highly recommend because you're coming in at the very end here, but no matter where you're at, whether you've been following us this entire series or this is your very first week, I'm confident that God has words of wisdom for you, that God's truth that he's going to show you today can transform your heart, can transform your circumstances, and even transform your life. So let's ask him to do that right now. Let's invite the Holy Spirit, our teacher, our guide, to open our hearts to what God has for us. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that we don't have to do this life on our own. We thank you that you pursue us and you draw us. And even this moment, God, for every person who will watch online, you have drawn them here, Father. I pray that the distractions would fall away, that hardened hearts would become soft, and that we would just listen to your spirit, God. And that we would just even decide before we even know what you're going to say to us that we will obey. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the premise of our series, Thriving in Babylon, is that as followers of Jesus, we really are foreigners passing through this world on the way to our permanent home, which is heaven. You see, the world in which we live right now is one that is hostile to God, to his character, and to his commands. It says that the things of God, such as faithfulness, loyalty, commitment, purity, that those are all foolishness, and they're given to us by someone who really doesn't have our best interests in mind. We're told to go out and find our own truth, our own way, our own best life. But this, of course, is contrary to the way of Jesus, who said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So those of us who choose to follow Jesus, we find ourselves in really troubling and confusing times. Um, we, we find ourselves in a world where the culture is shifting underneath our feet and we're just trying to get our bearings. Um, this world has always been and will always be in conflict with what God knows is best for us. And we all know this by experience, don't we? I'm guessing that might even be the reason why you're tuning in uh, this morning is because you've tried life your way. You've tried your truth. You've tried to just get through on your own strength. And somehow it always just ends up empty, unfulfilling, or maybe even in a crisis. Maybe you've hit the bottom and now you're open and ready because you've tried your way, your truth, you've tried, you know, self-help and you found yourself asking, maybe God does know 
and so you're checking it out. And if that's you, I just want to say we are so glad that you are tuning in because you know what? Jesus offers us a better way. And we can find that better way in this book, what we call the Bible. And you see, this book isn't an ancient book full of stories that don't matter anymore, stories that are, you know, outdated. But this book is actually a timeless book that tells us what has always been happening in the world. And so that means that we can dig into this book and we can find patterns of living that work. We can find the truth, the way, the life, and we can do things a better way, the way that Jesus offers. And what we've been doing in this series is we've been going through the book of Daniel. And Daniel was born in Israel and he served Yahweh, the God of Israel. And around 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes in, he invades Judah, he conquers the land, and he carries off with him captives. And Daniel happens to be one of those. And Daniel, he was no stranger to foreign, no stranger to hardship, but somehow, despite all that he faced, he thrived in every situation, in every season of his life. And not only did he thrive, he had influence. He had tremendous influence. So much so that not one, but two pagan, ruthless, harsh, prideful kings declared that Daniel's God was the one true living God. That's incredible what kind of influence Daniel had. And when you consider the fact that Daniel was a prisoner of war at around the age 13, removed from his homeland, his family, his customs, his freedom and future stolen from him, his identity stripped by a foreign nation, it makes it all the more incredible the influence that he had. And so we ask this question, how was Daniel able to do this? How was he able to stay faithful to God? How was he able to have influence for over seven decades of his life? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. The title of our message is Courage is a Habit. Last week, we left off um, in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel is talking to Belshazzar, who is the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel tells uh, Belshazzar that he's about to die and that his land is about to be taken captive. So we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 5, verse 30, and then we're going to read through all of chapter 6. So what I'm going to invite you to do is open up your Bible. Daniel is found in the Old Testament. If you look, it's about half-ish way through through. Um, and if you just go like halfway and then maybe turn to the right a little more, you'll find the book of Daniel chapter six. If you have the version app, it's great. Pull it up. I'm going to read along. I'm going to stop a little bit here and there to point out some important uh, parts to us. And then what we're going to do after we've read through this is that we're going to talk about Daniel's courage. We're going to link it to his influence. And then we're going to see how that connects with our lives. All right. So Daniel chapter five, verse 30, it says this. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. 
and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. At this point, Daniel is around 80 to 85 years old. He's been in captivity since he was 13. That's a long time to be separated from your home, your family, your customs. Yet we see that Daniel has not compromised his integrity or his faithfulness to God. Because of this, he is once again recognized by the most powerful man in the land. All right, picking up in verse five. So they concluded, our only chance, these are the, the other administrators who are jealous of Daniel, they concluded that their only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governments, that the king should make a law that will strictly be enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So it's important to note here that in this Medo-Persian empire, they instituted a new way saying that any law that was placed by a king could not be revoked. And what they did this for was to quell any kind of crazy, rash, you know, king from just making a willy-nilly law because he was upset or he had a bad day. So what they said in this new Persian empire is that once a law goes into effect, that's it. It's law, it cannot be revoked. And also, these administrators, they're pretty smart. They're playing to the ego of the king. They're like, hey, only 30 days. Nobody else can pray, just to you. Because also, it was looked at, the king wasn't always just the highest man in the land. He was also looked at as divine. All right, so we're going to pray to you. But, it says, picking up in verse 10, when Daniel learned the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now, if I'm not one to really underline in my Bible, but I underline two important phrases there, as usual and just as he had always done. I would underline those if I were you. This was Daniel's default. It's what he always did when life was good, when life was hard, when his life was at stake, he prayed to God. It's what he always did. All right, picking up in verse 11. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. 
Then they, they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah is ignoring your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and he spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up. He hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions. And miraculously, Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den and not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. For the second time in Daniel's life, the most powerful man in the world at that time declared that Daniel's God, the one true living God, was in fact the God of all the earth for all of time. This would be like us living such an exemplary life so different from the norm that we garnered the attention of the President of the United States, who after watching our lives and seeing how God has come through for us over and over again, he goes on international television and declares that our God, Daniel's God, the God, the one true living God, is the God over all the earth for all time. Sound a little far-fetched? It does. But that is in fact the influence that God gave to Daniel, who throughout his entire life displayed incredible courage no matter what he faced. This account is real. Daniel was real. He's as real as you and I. This is not a fairy tale or a feel-good story, but an actual account of a real man who walked this earth, who served God faithfully with his whole heart and because of his integrity and his faithfulness and devotion to the one true living God, 
His life was recorded for us so that we could know that it's real, so that we could emulate the courage of Daniel and maybe not have influence with the President of the United States, but with those in whom we interact with. Well, how did he do it? Let's break it down so we can, in fact, learn how to be courageous. The first point is this, courage is developed over time. J.D. Greer says that courage is not an act, it's a habit. It's developed over years and years of repeated patterns. You see, courage is a habit that we form, not something we conjure up in the moment of trial. Daniel 6.10 says this, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual. That's that phrase that I think you should underline. In his upstairs room with its windows open, he's not hiding, he has his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. So I have this question for you. If your name was to be inserted here, what would your default be? If this verse said something like this, but when Melissa heard of her impending death by being ripped apart by lions, eaten alive by real life, not cute, fuzzy, you know, stuffed lions, uh, because she would not obey the law of the land that she knew violated the law of her God, she blank, freaked out, panicked, ran and hid, cried, I don't know. What would your default be? When you hear that gas prices are gonna be $5 a gallon this summer, what do you do? What's your default? When you heard that your coworker got the raise or the promotion that maybe you deserved or you wanted, what's your response? When you heard of the affair, when you heard of the diagnosis, what is your default? Is it fear, anger, pride, rage against God, disbelief? And trust me, there is no judgment or condemnation here because I'm not sure that the first thing, if someone said that my life was gonna be taken, is the first thing I would do is hit my knees. I, I hope that it would be. But you see, it has to be developed over time. It's not something that I can conjure up in the moment. It's not something that you can just overcome that fear right away. So what is your default? And it's important that we realize what that is, that what we do in moments of time or trial or panic, like what is that first thing that we run to? If we don't acknowledge that, we can't change it. Um, a few weeks back, we gathered here, all of the women from all of our campuses, and together we watched the IF Gathering, which is a global simulcast, and they bring in some of the best speakers, and it's just really an incredible time. And Jenny Allen, the founder of IF Gathering, Skyped in a pastor from the Ukraine. And this was March 4th, so it was about eight days after uh, Russia had invaded the Ukraine and started dropping bombs. And so Jenny Allen is asking this Ukrainian pastor, like, how is the church doing? Um, what kind of efforts are you doing? And then she asked this question, and I will never as long as I live forget the response of this pastor. She said, Vadim, I wanna know how you're doing. Are you afraid? And he didn't answer right away. He thought about it. And once or twice he started to say something and he only got one word out. And then with the most resolute, peace-filled faith, he said, no. No, 
He said, if God decides that it's time for me or my family to go home, I have no control over that. No. And I can tell you that collectively around the world, you could have heard a pin drop when you saw the faith of this man. But Vadim's faith, his trust in God, his courage didn't come the moment a bomb hit. It was developed over time. And it's the same with Daniel. Daniel's default response to his life being at jeopardy again was just trust and faith and courage. You see, Daniel could have responded any of the ways that we tend to respond with fear or anger or pride, like, I got this, I'll figure it out on myself, or, or you know, I'm raging at God because I'm thinking, God, I've been faithful to you for 70 years, 70 years I've been in a place I don't want to be. Why would you do this to me? But that wasn't Daniel's response. He was forced to be a slave for 70 years. He had the right to be bitter, angry, upset, disappointed in God, didn't he? Don't we? I guarantee that 12-year-old Daniel living in his homeland didn't dream of one day being a slave, just as you didn't dream of being single or childless, lonely, defeated, worn out, exhausted to the bone. Yet Daniel wasn't angry with God. In fact, he was more devoted, more faithful, more consistent than ever. So how is Daniel so sure? And how can we have that same assurance? If it's true that Daniel's courage and his integrity and his wisdom were developed over time, how did he become this way? What did he do? I'll tell you this, he was consistent. <laughs> courage is developed by consistency. Daniel 6.10 again, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as he usually did in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Courage is developed by consistency. One of my favorite communicators, Craig Groeschel, says this, in the Old Testament, Daniel stood strong and trusted God when he was thrown into the den of hungry lions. To me, it's interesting to think about why Daniel was so confident in God's protection. When did he learn to trust God? The answer, he didn't learn to trust God in the lion's den. Daniel learned in his prayer closet. His faith wasn't built in the battle. His faith was built when he was on his knees. He had consistently sought God day after day, three times a day, day after day, week after week, month after month, he consistently worshiped and sought God. Why is it that we often lack faith? Why are we inconsistent with our relationship with God? It's because Daniel prayed consistently and we pray occasionally. It's not what we do occasionally that makes the difference. It's what we do consistently. Daniel had a habit of sitting with God daily, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, in good times, in hard times, in times of joy, in times of suffering, in times of deep distress, every day, as usual, just as he always had done.
We also know that Daniel read God's word. In Daniel 9, 2, and we're going to look at the rest of Daniel next week, it says, During the first year of his, that's King Darius's reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet. Not sometimes, not occasionally, not just when he was in trouble, not when he was sad and lonely, not just when he longed for his homeland, but he prayed three times a day just as he had always done. Daniel did what he always did. He met with his heavenly father, the one true living God every day. Now I wanna take a short detour for a moment and I wanna say this, we cannot become like someone we don't know. Now we all want the fruit of a disciplined life. I don't know anyone who would say, you know what? I really hope that one day I'll end up 50 pounds overweight, addicted to my phone, divorced, in debt, stressed to the max, and bone weary, exhausted. Yet, so many of us end up there. And if that's you this morning, if that's how you're feeling, I just wanna to speak to you gently and in truth and in love. You didn't end up where you are by chance. It didn't just happen. It may not have been a conscious decision, but it was a decision. It was a moment by moment decision to choose easy and comfortable over the harder decision to exercise self-control and discipline. And for some of us, the reality is we may have ended up where we are because someone else chose comfortable, easy, natural over what was best for us. And for that, I'm sorry. But nevertheless, wherever we find ourselves today, we may not be where we want to be. And that's not, again, condemnation or judgment because I'm confident that you are here because you want something different. And let me tell you, Jesus offers us something different. He offers us better, a life not just in survival mode, but a life full and abundant. Because you see, Jesus says that his fruit, that the fruit of living his way, his truth, his life is so much better than the fruit that we would develop on our own. And Jesus said that his fruit is love, his fruit is joy. His fruit is peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus invites you into this different. And doesn't this, doesn't love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, doesn't that sound so much better than stress, worry, fear, anxiety, depression? Because that's the kind of fruit that we produce in our lives without Jesus. And Jesus has a better way for us, but we can't be like someone we don't know. We can't bear this fruit on our own. It's developed through consistent time, getting to know our Savior, His way, His truth, His life. So two practical ways to develop a consistent habit of spending daily time with prayer. It rhymes, so I made it easy for you. Ready? It is place and space. The first thing I want you to do is find a place, the one spot in your house that's comfortable and quiet. I have this spot on my couch and right next to me is a table and it's always full of books. It has my Bible, has my journal, whatever books that I'm reading, and I keep it there so that when I get up in the morning, I can go to my place. And by space, I mean a time in your calendar. Let's be honest, we 
make time for whatever is important to us. So make space in your calendar for time with God. Do not compromise. Pick your place, pick your space, don't compromise because courage is developed over time and courage is developed by consistency. And the last point here is this, courage is developed by hope. How did Daniel endure over seven decades of slavery? Well, he knew that there was something better. Remember how I referenced that Daniel read uh, the words of the prophet Jeremiah? Well, I want to read for you this morning the exact words that Daniel would have read. In Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 6, it says, Nevertheless, the time will come when I will heal Jerusalem's wounds. This is God speaking and give it prosperity and true peace. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel and rebuild their towns. I will cleanse them of their sins against me and forgive all their sins of rebellion. Then this city will bring me joy and glory and honor before all the nations of the earth. The people of the world will see all the good I do for my people and they will tremble with awe at the peace and the prosperity I will provide for them. This is what the Lord says. You have said this is a desolate land where animals and people have all disappeared. Yet in the empty streets of Jerusalem and Judah's other towns, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and laughter. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will be heard again, along with the joyous songs of people bringing thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. Then they will sing, give thanks to the Lord of heaven's armies, for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever, for I will restore the prosperity of this land to what it was in the past, says the Lord. Daniel knew God's word. He knew his promises. He knew that God would heal and restore his homeland. He knew that one day, likely not him, but his people would return to Jerusalem and once again there would be joy and there would be laughter and there would be rejoicing. Daniel had hope. And I wanna close by sharing the greatest hope that there is. We can look at the story of Jan Daniel and think of it as, well, just that, a story. A story of an extraordinarily good human being who did the right thing, who God gave influence to and protected because of it. But Daniel is so much more than a hero's tale. Daniel points us to Jesus. You see, Jesus also endured incredible hardship. He was abandoned by his closest friends. He was falsely accused of wrongdoing. He was trapped by wicked men who were jealous of him. He endured a criminal's punishment by death on the cross, the most torturous form of the death penalty to have ever existed. How did Jesus do it? Well, Jesus spent 33 years obediently following his father. Jesus' own words, he says, for I have come down for heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will, not my way, but God's way. For 33 years, Jesus was obedient to his father. You see, Jesus developed courage over time. And Jesus developed courage through consistency over and over and over again. We see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the good news about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What does Jesus do consistently? 
Matthew uh, 14, 23, it says, after he sent them away, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 1, 35, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and slipped out to a solitary place to pray. Luke 6, 12, in those days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and he spent the night in prayer with God. Luke 9, 28, about eight days after Jesus had said these things, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to a mountain to pray. How was Jesus able to endure the pain of being abandoned by his closest friends at his most desperate hour? How was he able to endure the emotional trauma of being separated from his father when he bore the sins, our sins, on the cross? How was he able to endure the physical pain from the torture of crucifixion? Well, you see, Jesus knew there was something better. He had hope. He knew that Sunday was a coming. He knew that he would overcome and defeat death, that he would rise again through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he knew that his sacrificial death, it was the only way that you and I could be made right with God. Jesus had hope. And you can have that same hope. You can know that you know that you know that Jesus has a better way. You can know that you know that you know that his death on the cross, that the blood that he shed has washed you clean. You can have that same hope. You can have the courage of Daniel in Jesus. You don't have to just survive this life. You can thrive. Stay the course. Courage is developed over time. Be consistent. Courage is developed by consistency and place your hope in that one true living God who came, who sent his son to save you. There is hope. You can have courage because there is hope for a better future.